Give it up for our worship team. I drank coffee today multiple times, so, you know, my mind is like, and my stomach is like, so I'm going to just try to get through this message. That's what I'm going to try to do. Um, I want us, I just want us to kind of go right in. We have been in this series, Who's Your One? The last two weeks, anyone been here the last two weeks? Can we give it up for Pastor Roe um, and the practicality in which he has brought into this topic? Um, now, Who's Your One is what we would call an evangelistic message. And if you don't know what that means, we're going to break it down, but I want to start there. Uh, If we could open to Romans chapter 1, we're going to be covering verses 15 through 17. And it says right here, Thus I am eager also to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, God's power, for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. What I want to talk to you guys today about, and why I say this series is what we would call an evangelistic message. The title of today's message is this. Evangelism is more powerful than you know. I love that, Angie. (laughs) That was perfect. Uh, Evangelism is more powerful than you know. Would you close your eyes and just um, come into God's presence as we pray? Lord, I just thank you um, for what you've deposited in me. And I just ask in this moment that you will breathe life um, to my offering, Lord, and and communicate to our church, and that we may take hold of um, what I am going to be communicating today and be a church that understands the power of evangelism. In your name, amen. So there's this illustration, um, and it goes something like this, that if you take an elephant when it's a baby, like a little baby elephant, Take like little baby Dumbo and you wrap a rope around its leg and secure it, like secure it so that this elephant cannot, cannot get out. This baby elephant cannot get out. If you do that when it's a baby, as it grows older into a much more giant elephant, you would think that you have to get a more secure rope, more secure um, weight, but you actually don't. Because years of being bound to this thing programs the elephant's mind that even though with one, by the time it grows into adulthood, it does not know that it can now overpower this thing. It doesn't understand its power. And I share that because in my family, I was the elephant. <laughs> I was the youngest of four brothers. I was little baby Reuben. I was the run of the litter. I came 13 years after Raul, 12 years after Roe, uh, eight years after Foe. And if anyone knows the size of Foe, that Foe is the reason for most of uh, the things I talk about when I'm in counseling. I'm talking about I would get put in containers for whatever reason. The reason I have had claustrophobia issues is because of my life growing up. Your lead pastor is the reason why I have stitches on my head, a scar on my wrist. Raul, Raul will always tell you how he had to come to my rescue and defend me because Raul once smacked me across the face. Um, I was, listen, most people were bullied at school. I was bullied at home first. <laughs> to the point, like, to the point, like, I would, in my last message, I wasn't even going to talk about this. I talked about one of the ways my family have, have, uh, messed me up in the, you know, just even in thinking about, you know, restroom use and stuff like that. But I would go play with other kids and I would get babysat. And I would always make them cry. 
I would always hurt them because to me, play was a synonymous with like put you in a submission until you're in like that's what I grew up with. So much so that uh, one time, foe and me are fighting, and me and foe's fights were always intense. Like they just were never not intense. So much so, I'm downstairs, and it's the same house. If anyone's been to my house, you know what house to picture. I'm downstairs with my friend Rainer. Some of you guys know Ray. Um, that was a weird thing to cheer for, but we love you, Ray. Uh, and we're playing video games, and I just hear foe shouting from my upstairs bathroom, Roo! He's already angry. I don't even... Uh... And I'm like, what? And he's like, shave my back! not making this up. This is what I was, I was subjected to worse growing up. I promise you that. And I'm like, no, I'm not saving, shaving your back. I'm in high school at this time. And he's yelling upstairs. He finally comes downstairs, gets in my face. And he's like, shave my back. If you know Fo, that's Fo's voice. Uh, as big and tough as he is, his voice just never caught the message. Um, so I'm like, no. It's so intense that Rainer is there. He's like, Fo, I'll shave your back. Fo, Fo, I'll, I'll shave your back, bro. I got you. I'll just shave your back. And <laughs> one of these days, one of these times, as I've grown into my adult body, um, you know, I was, I've always, I've never not defended myself. So although my brothers were bigger than me, I never learned my lesson Hence the stitches. No, 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 no. I was just trying to play with my toys while Roe was fighting foe. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking in the ceiling, and I'm just flying across the room. Yeah, in my house, I was used as a weapon. Uh, I was thrown onto foe, bounced off the bed, flew into a cabinet. Here I am. Um, <laughs> I had church hurt before the church was start. No, I'm kidding. Uh, um, so one of these times, Foe is, I don't know what we're fighting about, but he is pushing me down the hallway. Raul was living with us at the time, and he's like running up the stairs. He's like, what's going on? And for whatever reason, I'm just, like, I'm just trying to stand my ground. What I hadn't realized is that my arms, which are as long as my legs, are longer than Foe's, even though he's bigger than me. So when I stick my hand out, he goes flying because I grab him by the throat, and he's just like, you don't... It was so weird that like I stopped. I was like, wait, I can't beat up my big brother. <laughs> Raul's like, fault. wait, Ruben? <laughs> I share this because I didn't know the power that I had. And just recently, you know, I've, I have told, you know, our, our nephew, my nephew Bishop, Rose been doing jujitsu, and I've told them very confidently. I'm like, yeah, I think if I gave it two months, I could just wipe the floor with you guys. Like, yes, I lost Bishop, but I'll never lose to Bishop. <laughs> Bet you want the mic now. No. <laughs> and sure enough, the other day, I went to a jujitsu class with Fo and Ro. This is my first day doing any of this stuff in a while. And I knew, like, you know, I'm not anticipating much, right? Sure enough, the first person I have to fight is phone. But we got a video clip of what that looked like. So can we play it? The title of my message is Ruben is more powerful than you know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I share that because even in that moment, one, it makes me look good. But two, um, you guys all agree. I could beat Rowan, phone now, uh, Rowan Bishop now. Um, I guess for the record, because I know Rowan wants to, He did tap me out that same day. I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, after me doing that to foe, who would have any strength? Um, I share that because even then, you know, I did like maybe in my entire year of high school, I did what would equate to a month of wrestling. And still what stuck was enough to do that on my first day. There was a power that I didn't even know. I was literally like, yo, it's crazy all the things that have come to me. 
And I just share these stories because when it comes to evangelism, I think we have taken it for granted. And the word itself has become so diluted. I Honestly, I think when we hear evangelism, we think convert somebody. Invite them to church. And I'm not saying those things don't take place. What I'm saying is, is what that means to us has become so watered down. And so here's, here's what I want to share with you. Definitions to words, because I'm going to define the word for you. They don't really matter. Like what, how a word makes me feel matters. It's, it's its connotation, right? Like if I said, if you said something and I said, that's not true, I think we're good, right? Like we're chilling. At least in my relationship, if I say, hey, that's not true, we're good. If I say that's a lie, it's a whole different kind of conversation, <laughs> right? If you say I, I, gave, uh, I, I gave this uh, relationship advice, I was like, there's a difference between saying that's a double standard and you're being a hypocrite. I was, I was, Rose saved my marriage with that tip. I was like, words don't, they mean the same thing. Not to me. Not to this emotion. Right? And so the definition of something, but also how the word makes you feel, something interesting to know is the words awesome and awful, if you just look up their root word definitions, they mean the exact same thing. Full of awe and to have some awe, which you would think awful would be better than awesome. But if you told me some really good news and I said, oh, that's awful. <laughs> like, why are you being, what? So the definition of evangelism, to evangelize, is to spread or preach the gospel. And gospel itself means good news. It's an English word, but all of these words in Greek are actually the same. To spread the gospel is evangelize, but gospel is euangelion. Pastor Rowe broke that down. So it's literally like to evangelismus the euangelion. <laughs> it's really like to good news the good news. And to Paul, what we read here is not someone who's like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta spread the gospel to you guys. No, what he says in Romans is, I am eager, I'm eager to spread the gospel. He is eager rather than ashamed. And, and what he says the gospel is, is the gospel is the power of God for salvation, the power of salvation. And it's interesting that he's eager because Paul would know better than anybody what was at stake. See, we have the privilege, and I really mean it. I don't mean it facetiously. We genuinely have the privilege that what evangelism looks like to us is an invitation to church. That what we're risking is maybe they think we're weird. Or ugh, you, you Jesus people. But for Paul, who prior to his conversion, literally in Acts chapter 8, which we're actually going to cover a section of it, he approves, it says, and Saul approved of the killing of this guy, Stephen. And then it says that from that moment, the church is persecuted. Anyone preaching the gospel is persecuted. And it says Paul is in people's homes. It says that the apostles tried to bury Stephen, but Paul was in their homes, pulling them out of their homes to carry them to prison. And yet here he is later, knowing better than anybody the risks, saying, I'm eager to do it. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because it is the power of salvation. He did not think of evangelism as simply convert people. Make kuhau big again. <laughs> he thought of it as more than that. And not that it isn't inviting someone to church. What, I, what I'm saying is that we have the privilege if that's what it looks like. I think if he were here today, one, I think he would jump for joy. I think he would say that Inviting people to church is unleashing the power of salvation. 
Talking to someone about Jesus is unleashing the power of salvation. Sharing a YouTube link, because we now have the convenience that we can share an entire 45-minute message to speak to someone's life, is unleashing the power of salvation. And I want to submit to you guys today that when you spread that, when you spread the power of salvation, the gospel, you are unleashing more power than you know. Because salvation is so much more, church, so much more. It's about so much more than not going to hell, making it to heaven. It's about so much more. And I want to help us rediscover the power in this word, evangelize. Spread the gospel. Bring someone to church. I want to help us uncover this power. And so the first power I want to talk to you about, it'll, it'll come out of John chapter 8. It says, Then Jesus said to those Judeans who had believed him, If you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they replied, and have never been anyone's slaves. How can you say you will become free? Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth. Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the family forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be really free. When you evangelize, you unleash the power of freedom. When you spread the power of salvation, you unleash the power for freedom. And I look at the text. Jesus is saying, hey, when you follow me, when you're connected to me, when you follow my principles, you have true freedom. What's, what's funny is they say this, like it says the Judeans believed, but like this conversation does not go well after this because they're so taken back. They're like, we've never been slaves to anybody. And Jesus says, no, you have. You've been subject to sin. And just a reminder on what sin is here. Sin is missing the mark. It's what it is, to miss the mark of what we were called to be and do and bring as humans, as God's creation. And the bondage of sin is that perpetual cycle that keeps us missing, that keeps us defeated, that keeps us doing the things that we've been trying to stop doing, that keeps us saying the things, that keeps us being the person we know we don't want to be. And Jesus says, yeah, you're, it, it's there because you're not free. And, and I think we can relate, right? Like, and honestly, like, Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I don't care how many calories Ben and Jerry's has. Have you seen these flavors? Netflix and Chilled, Americone Dream. They got a peanut butter cookies and cream flavor, non-dairy. This fire carries, carried me through the Daniel fast. I think that, no, I don't know. There's some, some loopholes there. No matter how bad it is, I keep choosing it. There are so many things, no matter how bad they are, you keep choosing them. Serious things. Serious things. There are people who have been in the bondage of drugs, in the bondage of lust. And we know, Lord, we know. And we keep choosing it. And listen, I've been there, I'm married now, but you know what it's like to be in that relationship. You keep choosing it. (laughs) And what Jesus offers is the freedom from the cycle. The gospel is the same power that enables us to overcome sin. It's the same grace. It's not new grace. It's not a different grace. The same news that Jesus came and through Jesus we have everlasting life, that he died on the cross and resurrected, that gospel is the thing that also enables us to say no to sin. Why? Because the gospel is that he defeated sin. And it's also Jesus who sets us free 
from the cycles that we've been living for generation. And we, we've, we, we all know about generational curses and, and family things. And, and if you've gone to Matrix, you know, like from the study of epigenetics, that you're, before you're born, your family tree has set you with proclivities. One of mine is my family. If I, you do a genogram, my family, almost everybody who came before me struggled with alcoholism. And so those things are turned on. But the gospel, Jesus gives us the power to change the course of the next generation. And, I, and, and I'm grateful to say that none of my brothers struggle with alcoholism. And none of my nephews have. Why? Because that's also generational. And, but it's not just for you. Yeah, you can give it up. When you spread the gospel, you spread access to that same power. You, you're not just freeing yourself. You're now allowing freedom to go in other people's families, in other people's lives, in other areas. You are now sharing that freedom, that power for freedom with others. And in, in 1 Peter, we have something that, that uh, really excites me to talk about. Um, Peter is talking to Jewish followers of Jesus. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to people who know the Torah, who know um, all the books, have studied this thing. And he says here, he says, yearn like newborn infants for pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up to salvation. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight, you yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. What he's doing here is activating things that they know, like they understand this language. So he's saying things like, um, you are living stones as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And if you hear that, where that takes you is, is to Genesis. And anyone who's done our, our community group uh, way back when, when we did the royal priesthood, will we'll follow here. See, in Genesis, what the story of, of Genesis is this. God sets up humanity to have dominion. He creates God to have dominion, to rule over the land, um, and to possess power. It's, it's after he creates humanity that he rests. And ultimately we know that humanity falls into disobedience. And then what you see is this perpetual cycle of a reactivating of power. Um, he calls Noah. He calls Abraham. He calls Moses. And, and each time there is, there is a move into reclaiming dominion, reclaiming power, and then ultimately humanity fails. All the way until Jesus' time. And what happens during the time of Moses is they establish a priesthood. They establish a temple. And so what Peter is doing is calling back to the days where those things existed, but he's also, but he's also messing with their whole construct. He says, you're the spiritual house. And that's weird to hear if you're a first century Jew. Like, I'm the temple? I know we hear it now because it's been preached so often. You, your bodies are the temple of God. But for them to hear this for the first time, like, you are the temple. And the priest, Jesus ultimately becomes the most high priest, the royal priest. And so what the priesthood was in Moses' time was a call back to what we ought to have been and a call forward to the royal priest who would come. And he, he tells them, like, you are not just now the presence of God. You are the royal priesthood. And you are being built up into this. But how are they built, being built up to this? He says, and yearn like newborn infants for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up to salvation. So as you come to him, as we come to Jesus, 
he builds us up. As we come to Jesus, he restores us. As we come to Jesus, he makes us the living stone. As we come to Jesus, he builds us up to be the temple of God. As we come to Jesus, he makes us the holy priesthood. And so when we're, when we're evangelizing, we're not just setting people free, but we're also restoring them to their calling and to their purpose. When we, when we evangelize, we unleash the power of restoration. When you spread the gospel, you are reinstating priests to the priesthood. And I know like this is terminology that's like we're priests. Like here's, here's a weird thing to know. Do you guys know you're all saints? Like what? What are we Catholic now? No, no, no. We're, because the terminology in scripture is that all believers were called saints. All believers were considered priests. We are now entering in and being built up into the royal priesthood. And what we're doing is not simply inviting someone to church. We have the privilege that that's what it looks like. It's, it's great that that's what it looks like. But what we're doing is actually reclaiming, reclaiming humanity's lost calling. We're bringing back people to the purpose and to the authority and reinstating the kingdom of God. So we are setting people free when we spread the gospel. We are unleashing the power of restoration. And in Acts chapter 8, this is uh, the text before this, is where everybody has been kicked out, everybody is being persecuted, everybody's on the run for the sake of the gospel. And it says, immediately after this, those who had been forced to scatter went around proclaiming the good news of the word. Philip went down to the main city of Samaria, and he began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds were paying attention with one mind to what Philip said as they heard and saw the miraculous signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying with loud shrieks, were coming out of many who were possessed, and many paralyzed and lame people were healed. When you evangelize, ultimately, you release the power of God. What's what's happening in the text? Philip is preaching the gospel. And as a result, to confirm the message that is going forward, Unclean spirits are coming out of people who are possessed. Paralyzed and lame people are being healed. There's so much power in evangelism. And I know, like, I, I, I say this because evangelism itself, right? Doesn't it sound clinical sometimes? Like, if you've ever had a conversation with Yvette, it sounds like a word she would use in day-to-day Like, Yvette doesn't, I've never heard in all my life, I've never heard Yvette say the word but, B-U-T-T. She says, posterior. (laughs) She says it as a phrase, true. You know, like, my posterior, that's true. (laughs) And if you've ever had the privilege of talking to Yvette, you know, she somehow sneaks these, like, 14-syllable words in a two-minute conversation. You're like, how'd you... Never want to play Scrabble with her. I just don't. But it sounds like an evetism. Evangelism. Evangelize. It sounds like a Harry Potter. Right? Evangelismus Casparis. But it's powerful. Because what it means to spread the gospel is to release, ultimately, like there's so many things that we do when we spread the gospel. We unleash the power of forgiveness. We unleash the power of love. We unleash the power of healing. Because ultimately, ultimately we are unleashing the power of God. These people were forced to scatter. And in spite of being forced to scatter, they saw it worth everything to spread the power of salvation. And what happens here? is you start seeing possessed people delivered and sick people healed. And what I think has happened 
in the the greater church. I'm thankful that I feel like I've, that Kuhau, I, I say we, I'm so honored that I feel like we get this right. If anything, we get criticism for preaching too much gospel. I beg to differ. Um, I think in the greater church, we have inverted this system. And we like, and I know church, because I know because I've been that person, someone comes to prophesy and I'm like, pick me. Pick me, like, Lord, pick me, like, just say something to me. And, like, people are getting prophesied for, and their lives are, like, changing. And I'm like, but, Lord, why you don't want to talk to me? (laughs) People are being healed. I'm like, I got a headache. (laughs) I don't care about that person's back problem, Lord. Why not me? And someone comes, and I've, like, I literally, like, I would know. Like, someone's coming to the church, and I would have to, like, like don't even make eye contact with Hector Medina. Because you, you, you got a crush, you know? It's like, he'd be like, Ruben, I'm like, yes? He's like, pass me that. I'm like, damn. And we do it. And, and I think in the biggest way, and it's funny because I'm even talking to Ro, like, hey, how do I bring this up? Because even when it comes to spiritual warfare, this has become a thing that's so sensationalized. The church has, has distorted our priority on what it should be. And then any Hollywood has just taken that and run with it. And it's like, there's preachers that are like, you got to know all 32 names and study these things. And Philip was just preaching the gospel. And what, what you will find is that wherever demonic possession, all that stuff is coming out of people, the gospel is being preached. It's not always that when the gospel is being preached, these things are happening. But it is that when these things are happening, the gospel is being preached. And I I think the religious minded will say, but what about Jesus? Jesus was the living, breathing gospel. And wherever he went, the gospel was being preached. And so it's these things that matter, that matter less. And not that they don't matter. They just matter less. Like so much so. Like these, the apostles saw it so secondary to preaching the gospel. And I think it was because they understood how important preaching the gospel was. That in Acts 16, it says Paul and his entourage. We're speaking of Yvette. One time Yvette's talking to me. And Yvette's native language is French. Okay. If you thought it was anything else, tisk tisk. Um, her native language is French. And one day she's talking to me and she's like, oh yeah, my mom was like, yeah, you and your entourage. She's like, which entourage is a word that just means group. I'm like, are you translating an English word that has French? <laughs> has nothing to do with my message, but I'm like, I can't say entourage and not tell this story. So Paul is with his entourage. who are being hounded by a woman who is possessed by a spirit that gives her the ability to tell the future. And the, the message that she's saying is, these guys are going to lead you to Jesus, essentially. Which, like, not even a bad message. Pretty good message, I would think. And the, it says, for many days she is doing this. And because Paul was annoyed, after many days of preaching the gospel, because Paul was annoyed, he cast the spirit out. Like how, like I want to hear a theology doctrine on that. Like cast the spirits out of those who annoy you. That's what I want. That's what I want to hear. It, because he was annoyed. But for many days, what was he doing? Preaching the gospel. For many days. How you, how you preaching the gospel so hard, the demon is announcing that you're going to preach the gospel and save people. There's a guy, Michael Heiser, who I study, and he's a scholar on all of this stuff, and he's one of my, second to Tim Mackey, you know. But one of his teachings on spiritual warfare, which I love when I told May, I was like, May, I'm, I'm preaching on spiritual warfare. She's like, is that word even in the Bible, spiritual warfare? <laughs> or is that, I'm like, all 66 books. <laughs> cool, nope. He says, the greatest act you can do, 
the greatest act of spiritual warfare you can do is bring someone to the knowledge of Jesus. Why? Because it's that powerful. Like, this is what the gospel is. That all of the power, the incomprehensible, unfathomable, unimaginable power of God robed himself in the, the, the flesh of humanity and stepped down and lived amongst us and defeated sin and death. And then imbued that power into us through his Holy Spirit. All of the power of God is in the gospel. It's not in how hard you fast and pray. And those things are great. But they only serve to get us better connected to God. It helps us be less cluttered. You know? Like it helps us be less out of tune. But it's the gospel that is God's power of salvation. And you have to ask, why would Paul risk his entire life knowing the cost? Why would he be eager? Why are there people in other regions and other places where where spreading the gospel does not look like a text message? It looks like risking your life. Coming to faith in Jesus looks like being abandoned and ostracized by family members, potentially even being killed. And we have the privilege that it looks like, I'm going to come to church 4 p.m. on a Sunday. Or maybe I'll just go to Elevation, type in. Maybe I'll go to Cool House YouTube today. Like, that's what it looks like. And I don't say it to undermine or be pejorative. Like, I genuinely mean, like, we are honored and privileged and blessed that we get to unleash so much power in such an easy, practical way. Uh, Amanda had her cooking community group a couple days ago. Yeah. It was fun. It was awesome. And while she's there, Sarah took it upon herself to just like throw water everywhere. She was like, I got baptized. Everybody's getting baptized. It's great that I can just share this side of the story. No, 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 I'm kidding. She accidentally spilled water. But through that spilling, like we're getting into conversation. And I think we said goodbye like 30 times and kept talking. But Isaiah shared a story um, that I think connects so much so to, like, when I heard it, I was like, wow, like, usually how I hear these stories, because it's so sensationalized, here's where it goes. But I felt like it went somewhere else. And in preparing this message, I felt like it was important to share. So Isaiah, if you could come up, I've asked him to share it. Um, Just the context here, I guess. Um... I think it's important to know if we give it up to Isaiah. Isaiah and Sarah were dating. Sarah had just recently placed her faith in Jesus. You know, talk about flirt to convert. No, I'm kidding. 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 Well, um, that was not, yeah. Um, but they're on the train in Harlem. Right? So he's sharing this story and he'll he'll tell you better, but I just want to give you some context and I forget why, but I guess you'll elaborate why, but he begins to pray for Sarah. And I'll I'll let you kind of take it from there and add in any context. Can we give it up for Isaiah one more time? Thank you so much, Pastor Ruben. Um so me and Sarah have known each other for five years. We've been together for four years, and um like he said, it was recently after she just said, after she just realized, oh, I believe in Jesus. He's real. Like that, that's all it was. That's where she was at. And we went to a amazing show in the Apollo theater and we were coming home from the train and we were not in a good neighborhood at all. It was probably like 11 PM, 12 midnight. And Sarah's not used to being in situations like this in the train. And you know, this and I just wanna I just wanna say this is before not my father coming out. So just think about the anxiety um that was occurring in this story. So um we're we're on the train and Sarah I'm gonna be a little bit animated because it brings me back to it. So Sarah like looks to the left and there's a homeless guy laying down like and while he's laying down like this, she's like 
oh my gosh, Isaiah, like, I think he has a gun. Like, I don't know what's going on. He's just sleeping. All he's doing is sleeping. He's sleeping. He's snoring. She's like, he's making noises. And I'm like, he's snoring. Um, and while she's doing that and she's feeling tense, out of nowhere, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but there's, there's a, a artist that passed away. His name was Juice World, And one of his biggest hit records had a very dark, and the entire song was dark and he was actually talking about shadows in his room. And this girl was not even in the train yet. You just heard her singing it and you heard her singing it so strongly from her diaphragm. And I'm not going to lie. I was, I was a bit nervous. That's when I was like, oh, what's going on? And now Sarah, <laughs> Ruben, can you like put, dig your head into my shoulder? <laughs> so like Sarah is, I'm, I'm not over exaggerating. She has her head that way. She has her head right here and she's hyperventilating like that. Just hyperventilating, hyperventilating. And in that moment, we're good. <laughs> in that moment, he's bigger than me. So it's like kind of a little hard. So, um, in that moment while she's breathing so strong into my shoulder and my chest this girl walks in and when she walks in she's singing the song even louder but she's with a friend and now picture somebody in the train we're all new yorkers and she's singing she's demanding all of everybody's attention but nobody there is paying attention Everybody there is either nervous or they're just doing the New Yorker, like plain face, out of sight, out of mind, right? Now, while she has her head in my shoulder, this girl singing, she has another friend, but this friend is walking very aggressively and she's pacing back and forth. She's pacing back and forth and she's just scanning everybody. I'm sorry, Sarah was the only white person on the train, so she stood out. She really did stand out. And she's... We're not saying a thing. This girl finished sing, singing the entire song and no one clapped. Not a single person clapped. And with nobody clapping, this girl starts coming up. I'm right next to Sarah, but she starts getting into Sarah's face and she's like, who do you think you are? I'm going to use Ruben. Who do you think you are? You think you... You're not going to clap for me? How dare you? Like, I'm singing and you're too bougie to clap for me? Are you... Si now, she keeps getting closer and closer and closer. As she continues to get closer, I'm talking about an inch away, I decide in that exact moment to just pray over Sarah. But when I'm praying over her, I'm not going... I'll, I'm not projecting. I'm just in her ear. She's right here. I'm just in her ear. And I'm just like, God, you are with us there's going to be a way out of this we are here we are protected like i know that you're here with us in this train right now this is going to be and I, I even remember saying in her ear and correct me if i'm wrong i remember like this is going to be a testimony like right we're covered like we're good and while i'm saying that this girl is still and now I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban, and when somebody puts a finger, I think of my mom like about to like do what like Pastor Ruben would, I meant Pastor Ruben and Ro would do to each other, like one of those situations in the house. So all I'm seeing is like naturally, physically, like with who I am, I'm seeing a finger in my girl's hand, not even directed to me. She's going for Sarah. I see it this close to Sarah's face, and I'm thinking, wow, if she raises her hand, I'm going to turn into Lisa and just like, you know, like, I started thinking that, and I was just like, you know, if, if I just see a hand raised, I'm just going to grab it, you know, do a little jujitsu bishop move, and, you know, so, but... That was my natural, natural reaction. Like, okay, what am I going to do? This girl's here. That guy, this girl's here. And they're both being aggressive. The girl's still pacing. Picture another girl pacing while Sarah, where there's a finger in Sarah's face. And in that moment of prayer, I, I, this is definitely not me. Some people would probably say, oh, Isaiah, you're so nice. You're so encouraging. Um, it was a little after. We confirmed. We spoke yesterday. Yeah, watch. So um, as this is going on, I go, I go to this girl and I'm like, 
hey, I just want to let you know, like, we're not not clapping because you aren't good. We're not clapping because my girlfriend right now is having an anxiety attack and I'm just praying for her. And as I said, I'm just praying for her. Her entire like face went from to she just took a step back. And in the midst of me saying I'm just praying for her, I then this this has to be Jesus. I then said, but you want to know something? You shouldn't be seeking validation from not a single person on this train. I was like, the fact that you have, and now remind you, we're sitting down. She's sitting here, Sarah's sitting here, and I'm sitting here and I'm looking at her and I'm like, the fact that you have the courage to get on a train and project and sing with all of your might, like that shows how brave and how confident you are. And I'm like, word for word, I go, are you posting on Instagram? <laughs> and when I say, are you posting on Instagram? She's like, no, I was like, well, you have, you have a talent that you need, that you, that you need to expose to the world. If you could have this type of courage, if you could have this type of confidence, then you don't need to worry about the clappers. You don't need to worry about. And so in that moment of me saying all of this, remind you prior, all I just said, I said it, it was just, hey, my girl's having exact tag. I'm just praying for her. I didn't even mention Jesus's name. She, as I'm giving this girl all these words, the friend who's pacing aggressively, I'm not over-exaggerating, guys. As she's pacing aggressively, she goes, what's that? Oh, it smells like Jesus in here. And Sarah's eyes lit up. I lit up. And it was something that was so, I can't even just like, just picture from this to this to then the person behind her who is about to follow up just goes, smells like Jesus in here. Now in that same moment, I look to the train like behind us, you know, like the little window, her boyfriend is in the other car antagonizing other people and plotting and she looks at her boyfriend and she goes they're good the train doors open and she goes i'm so sorry da, 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 da. like i didn't mean to i just want to i just want to thank you and we had each other's dinner she's like i love you guys but and they just walked out and yeah that was that was the entire moment <laughs> thank you stay up here for a second man. So I, I hear that story and I love that it already moves you because you see this stuff and, and how we've been taught is like, oh, that lady has a spirit. You got to start calling its name out and you got to start. And what we see Isaiah do is talk about purpose. Talk about giftings. And what we see is the power of God move. And I think so often in our lives, and, and I, I go hard on this side with the spiritual warfare because I think in our minds, we have put that as the highest thing. But preaching the gospel is the highest thing. And if it can work there, what about in our homes? Like, like if you've been struggling in your family life, if you've been struggling with anger, if you've been struggling, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Why? Because it is the unadulterated power of God unleashed in our lives. It is that powerful that the apostles and the disciples saw it worth risking their lives. They saw it worth risking their lives because they understood the power that was made manifest when you preached the gospel. And, and I love it because we could like, oh, but he didn't even mention about Jesus' death and resurrection and the burial. And he didn't do the doctrinal teachings of what the gospel is supposed to be. But in that moment, an entire group of people became God conscious. And I love that that's how Roe phrased it a couple weeks ago. He's, he's just walking. And he said, what if, what if his moment is just to sow a seed? and make someone God conscious for a second. One question before you go, Isaiah, because I, I know you and I wanna ask you, 
So we're, we're talking about power, we're talking about inviting people. What would you say? Someone's here, 45, going on 50 minutes, still struggling with, maybe I don't know the words to say, or just struggling with doubt in proclaiming this stuff and doing this. So earlier, and I might get the sentence a little bit like messed up, but I knew I was going to give this testimony today and Pastor Rose said something along the lines of obtaining his presence, like what his obtaining his grace in a time of need. Um, in that moment that I just spoke about, my reaction was to lean on to God. That's all I saw. But initially, I saw red because how the way that we want to react to things is not necessarily it's not the right way and and, and it is natural as normal but to to obtain his presence just think about his presence just think i keep hearing the word lean like lean on to him and once you lean on to him your reaction is going to be different than what you normally would react in so in any situation like it doesn't you know you're talking about like sharing a link and you know today i was working with a friend and putting on christmas lights and you know i i love sarah's music but when i share sarah's music i know it's a form of evangelizing so like when this guy's asking me what i do i go Oh, have you ever heard this song? Like, it, you know, it's different because it has lo-fi. And now we're talking about lo-fi. And now he's hearing this song. And I don't know what he believes in. But then later on, he tells me that he doesn't believe in Jesus, but he's very, very spiritual. But guess what? That song could have tapped into something and a seed could have been planted. And who knows I believe, and I think that's another thing. You gotta lean on, on you gotta lean on to Jesus, but you also gotta have faith that the seed will harvest. I feel like once you know that the seed will harvest, I think that's when the gospel just starts coming out of you because you don't care about rejecting rejection. You're not seeking validation. You're not once you seek validation, once you harp on rejection, that almost is what stops us from opening up our mouth. So yeah, I just want to end it with that. Just plant your seed. Plant your seed. Thank you, Thank you Isaiah. <laughs> Today we are going to be inviting um, people. Today, today we begin our three people. We begin inviting. But I, I wanted to make sure that, that before we do this, you all know and understand as, as we stand that there is power in that text. There is power in that link. And, and the, the beautiful thing is I'm talking to a people who are under, on the other side of our yes. Like when you said yes to Jesus, you, your life, I don't think there's anyone in this room who would say their life stayed the same. Like, do we have a people who know your life was changed? God flipped your world upside down. He unleashed power. He unleashed power through someone saying, hey, you want to come to church? And I love that it is that simple that we can release so much power in six words. Can we stand today? Pastor Rose is going to give us some instructions.